You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. Romans 13.8 from the Amplified says, Keep out of debt and owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another, I love this, for he who loves his neighbor, look at this, and who practices loving others. They have fulfilled the law, meeting all of its requirements. See, we can live independent because there's a better way. There's a better system. Father, we thank you this day. We thank you, Lord, that it's by divine appointment that we're here. Whether we're here in the, in, in the congregation or whether they're watching by live stream, YouTube, Facebook, however we're here, we are here by divine appointment. And we celebrate this day, the independent that your covenant gives to us, the independence that we have because of your covenant, our covenant rights to an independent, free life to honor and serve you. Holy Spirit, I thank you today you take this word, this inevitable word or this unending word uh, of God and make it alive to us, bring revelation. And we will give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, last week we talked about the fact that there are two systems in operation in this world. There is the world system or the Babylonian system. And there's the kingdom system. And the systems can be identified uh, by key phrases. The Babylonian or world system can be defined by debt. It's a debt-based system. But the kingdom system is a system of increase. It's a system of increase. And it's, it's, almost, it, it's hard for me to fathom and we talked about this, we're just kind of recapping right now, but it's hard to fathom that, that Christians uh, operate primarily under the Babylonian system. Why? Because that's what they were raised in. That's what, that's what the world system understands. It's a system of debt. Some of them operate a little bit in both, but very few operate solely in God's financial system. And the reason is, is because we weren't trained that way. We don't understand it. It's not part of our core makeup. You know, we, we looked at the statistics, uh, the research statistics, that, that, that say that 85% of your core beliefs are developed before you're five years old, or by the time you're five years old. And even though you think you don't hold on to those beliefs because you've never done anything to change them, to transform them, form them they still guide much of what you do, and you don't even know it. Much of how you operate. Much of the way you think. So we, we, need, to, we need to work on a, a renewal process to get beyond that. So since the world lives on this, in this Babylonian system that's based on debt, it, it, has, it has negative effects, not only in the financial realm, but also in the physical realm. In the relational realm, this system is not made to better our lives. It creates ever-increasing levels of drug use. Why? Because if my problem didn't get fixed with the first drug, we'll just add another. And then we may need to add another one to calm the effects of that one. 
A system that has seen an ever-increasing number of single-parent families. In the name of equality and, woman, and women's rights, and irresponsible men who don't have the examples in a society that says you can do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be, more children are growing up in single-parent households. I thank God that I had an incredible stepfather that came in and stepped in to the gap when my dad was gone. It made an incredible difference. And there's an ever-increasing self-reliance. That people can do it on their own. I can do that on my own. I don't need you. I don't need anybody's help. Denying the fact that God has created us to be knit and joint together. Each supplying what the other one needs. But see, there is a better system and it's superior. It's supernatural. And it exists in all areas of our life, including the financial areas of our life. You know, Solomon said it this way. He said, money answers all things. I can tell you from experience that my multi-million dollar friends have never had a problem getting a doctor's appointment. They've never had a problem buying the prescription that they need. They've never had a problem getting an airplane ticket and going wherever they want in the world. Money does answer a lot of stuff. Well, why is it then that it seems like the ungodly's got so much of it? It's because the church has denied the God-intended and God-planned wealth transfer to His kingdom. I think many, many people that God has given ideas to have allowed those to lapse and other people to put their name on them out of fear, out of some uh, system that said, well, you're not supposed to be rich, you're a Christian. So you're not supposed to have anything. The more humble you are, the more religious you'll be. And really that's what it is. It's a spirit of religion. It's certainly not a spirit of relationship. I mean, how many parents want their kids to be poor? But yet, in Christian homes all around the world, they've taught that kids should be poor. In the Catholic Church, they taught us. They even put a poor box in the back of the church. They taught us that it was good to be poor, because, you know, God loves the poor, and they will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what the poor are supposed to inherit is the riches of the kingdom of God. Why? Because they need them. They need the riches. But you will only know what it is you've learned. That's it. And you will only do what you know. And so we have to transform our knowledge. We must transform ourselves out of our mind. We need to learn how money works. We need to learn the financial system that God created so that we can understand how money works. I have never been able to go on a missions trip when I was broke. Never have. I've searched the websites for free missionary trips. There's lots of trips out there, but they tell you right up. You want to go to Israel? You want to go to Uganda? Here's how much it costs for the missionary trip. Well, I want to go on a missionary trip. Why don't you pay for it? Well, what God is speaking to all of us, He's saying, why don't you pay for it? By learning how my kingdom works. So that we can be in a position. Remember, God has 
no money issues. I have never once received an answer to prayer asking for a loan. I've never said, Father, can you, can you save my, 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 my friend or my brother or my sister? Lord, I thank you that you're, you're healing my aunt or my uncle. And, 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 and Lord, uh, I, I'm believing for a new car and have God's response be, well, can you loan me about 50 grand? I'm a little short this, this month. God has no money problems. He has no lack. God has no failure. Everything that God does is total victory. There is no lack in God. He is a God of victory. He's a God of increase. And if we can, can change that foundation from our childhood to understand that God is total victory, that God is total increase, we will change our outlook on life. Well, pastor, but you don't know. I'm on a fixed income. Well, who said you are? Who said you're on a fixed income? I know I've told the story many times. My grandma was on a fixed income, but she wanted to be able to buy gifts for the grandkids. And she started making, I need to find one of these things. She started making these crazy little mice. She would dress them up in bonnets and dresses, build slacks for them and, and, and vests, top hats on them. I remember when I was in junior high, we'd be over there as kids, and we'd be stuffing these mice with the, the foam stuffing. She'd have all of the things, you know, uh, she'd sew it up, and she'd turn them inside out, and then we had to stuff them all with foam, and she'd be... And she would take those things to grain sales, to malls, you know, where they have the tables, like a, a swap meet type thing, and she sold tons of these things. And they started out, they were all real little, and then they got like this, and then she made some like this, and made door stops, and... People pay money for the craziest things. Who says you are on a fixed income? Your income is only fixed if you believe it's fixed. God has given us everything we need for total victory. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. See, we need to engage in this, folks. We can't be relegated. We can't allow fear, intimidation something that's happened in the past, determine our future. I, I'm going I'm to spill the beans a little bit here on you, Frank. I'm going to tell, this is a private and secret story of yours, but I'm going to tell it anyways. A few, a few years ago, Frank came, came and, and said that he'd been, he was renting a house. And he, like a lot of us, you know, I... I had been in real estate since 1989, and the first time I ever lost money on real estate was in the real estate crash here. First time I ever lost money in the real estate crash. And, you know, it's not, it's not fun losing money in real estate because they don't come cheap. And you went through a situation, uh, you know, years back, and was in a position where he didn't really know whether he wanted to buy a home again. But what was driving him, and he and I had a, a conversation, what was really driving him was the fear of potential failure in the future. And he and I had a chance to talk about that. But because he faced the problem and didn't allow his past to determine his future, it's been about five years ago, four years ago? About five years ago, he bought a new house. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that he's made at least fifty or 60000 just on the appreciation of that house. 
because he didn't allow himself to be held down by the fear. And many times, we don't do things in the future. Well, I'm not going to get involved in, in, in that because, man, last time I did it, I lost. Well, maybe you didn't have the knowledge that you needed. Maybe you didn't have the coach or, or the infrastructure in place that you needed. Many times, people get out into things, and they don't have the experience. They don't do what David did. Remember when, when Saul tried to give David his armor? He said, I cannot wear this because I have not proved it. I have not learned how to use this stuff, and it's not going to benefit me. But I have a sling. And if I grab myself five smooth stones, I have proved them because I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear. And I can go to battle with that. And see, many people, they try to go to battle with lack of knowledge, with inexperience. And then they wonder why they didn't do well. They wonder why they, why they failed at it. But what you should do is say, okay, I lost $100,000 doing that one time. You just say, I got a $100,000 education on not how to do it the next time. And take that experience and come cross, remember, face-to-face -face with your situation. Remember, we just talked about spiritual warfare. This, we, didn't, we didn't spend 18 weeks talking about spiritual armor just so that you can say, oh, yeah, I know a little bit about spiritual armor. No, we, we spent that time to learn about who we are spiritually, how to use our spiritual armor, so we can fight the battles that are ahead of us. So we can take those on. Total victory in every area of life. See, that's your destiny. Total victory in every area of life. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. Learn from your mistakes. Make them education for your future. You can prosper greatly under the Babylonian system. There is a kingdom system, but you can prosper under the Babylonian system. Remember, uh, it is a system based on debt. It's a system that is designed to keep you down. But if you learn about the Babylonian system, you can even prosper in the Babylonian system. Warren Buffett's doing okay in the Babylonian system. Right? Citibank, they're doing okay. Last time I was in downtown Phoenix, all the tall buildings were owned by Bank America, Wells Fargo, Chase. See, if you learn the Babylonian system, you can prosper in it. But there is a better system. But think about it. Think about these four guys, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, and Daniel. You remember them. We know them mostly as Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, or Belshazzar. Because that's what Nebuchadnezzar had changed his na Daniel's name to as Belshazzar. But we know him more as Daniel. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's young men. Young Jewish men. Young men of Israel. And when Judah fell, when it fell to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he took the prized princes of Israel, of Judah, to Babylon. So now here you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a system designed to keep them down as slaves. And that's what it's designed for. But what happened to Daniel inside the Babylonian system? He refused to be of that world. He said, hey, I've got to be in it, but I don't have to become of it. And he said to, his, to, the, to the eunuchs that were placed over him, he says, 
We don't want the pleasantries of the king. Let us eat what God has told us to eat and see if we aren't better performers, able to do more, more, more brilliant than all of your others. Because they, they accepted God's system. They wouldn't bow. You know the story. They wouldn't bow to the Babylonian system. In fact, as even when Babylon changed the laws to make it illegal to not bow down before the great altar and image, what did they do? They refused. They said, we are involved in a different system of life. God's system has made us prosperous even here in Babylon. We refuse to bow. And because we refuse to bow, we know we, we will never burn. And when they got thrown into that fire, it says that the king ordered that it be made seven times hotter than normal. The, the guards that threw them into the fiery furnace all perished from the heat, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king looked and said, Did I not throw three men into that fire? But I see a fourth man, and he's like the Son of God. See, if you refuse to bow to the world's system, God will walk you through. He will walk you through. We have that promise. So you can prosper in the Babylonian system. Daniel refused to bow. Well, actually, he did bow. That was the whole problem. They said he couldn't bow. But every day, three times a day, he bowed down to God and prayed. And again, they made a law to trap Daniel. But he refused. He was focused on the kingdom. He was living in the kingdom. He may have been uh, in a world that wasn't his, but he was not going to be of it. And when they arrested him and threw him in the lion's den, they found him the next morning, sitting there well, sitting there well. We see the same thing in the story of Esther with Haman and Mordecai. Mordecai refused to bow down and was surely destined to be hanged on the gallows. But they refused to enter into the world system, and God delivered them. Delivered the nation of Israel through Esther. God will deliver you. There's a different system. There is a secret to success under the Babylonian system. Go with me to Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. This is the secret to success under the Babylonian system. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you, but you shall meditate in it day and night, and then you shall do according to all that is written therein, and it'll make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. But see, most people who call themselves Christians, they don't know what the book of the law says. They don't know what the covenant promise is. They are defaulting to what they know. What they learned when they were children. What they learned in school. Well, they don't teach anything in primary school about how, to, how, the king, how finances operate, let alone kingdom finances. They certainly don't teach it in high school. And I said this last week. Most kids who graduate out of high school have no clue how to balance a checkbook. They don't know what a budget is. And you know, most people run their budget... This way, when I run out of money, I start borrowing so I can pay the rest of it. But you know what? They've got a horrible example right now. 
Because that's exactly how our politicians are running their budget. When we run out of money, we just borrow. Do you know there's a reason why they're not concerned about the national debt? Because they know that the national debt will grow smaller by the weakness in the value of the dollars that you have. It's called inflation. I always wondered this when I was studying economics when I was younger, is why, if we don't do, pro do some proper economic things, why can't we stop inflation and actually create deflation? And my dad sat down with me one time and he goes, government does not want deflation. Because deflation makes your money worth more and expands the cost of debt. But if they can use inflation to make your money worth more, now $21 trillion may only have the impact of $10 trillion because your money's worth half as much. And so what do they do? They say, well, let's just raise the minimum wage. That'll fix everything. Where do these people get their economics degrees? It just, it confounds me. I want people to have a higher minimum wage, but they should do it based upon what they bring to the table, what they can negotiate, what, they can, what work they can do. Just raising people's minimum wage just causes inflation to go up higher. Oh, why would government want inflation to go up higher? That way they can borrow more money, and it is if they're not, because they're deflating your dollar value. And who gets squeezed in the whole process? The middle class does. Because you, you raise the bottom, but companies can't afford to pay the middle more. I mean, Josh, your, your boss can't go, well, minimum wage went up five bucks. I guess I, you know, that's like a 25% increase. I'm just going to increase your salary 25% because they got, they can't do that. There's not money there to do that. I mean, Earnhardt can't come to you and go, well, now you've got to hire technicians at 15 instead of 10. That's a 33% increase in Frank, so we're going to give you 33%. You've got to be kidding me. It doesn't work that way. It is not the way economics works. It's backwards, but that's the world system. And that's why we need to understand it. We need to understand how God's system works because God's system is far superior to the Babylonian system. I read a, a book one time. It's a completely secular book. It was written in 1926, 1927. It's called The Richest Man in All of Babylon. But it's a very good book if you want to understand the world's financial system. It talks about how to prosper under the Babylonian system. So to understand how money works, we first must address our minds, our souls. Because I guarantee you that every one of us has some preconceived ideas about how money works. I know I do. I still do. I'm learning stuff all the time. Because I want to grow. I want to be able to pass on to, to my kids, to my children, so that they can grow. And this is true whether we're talking about kingdom or worldly finances. We must grow. 3 John 2, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things. Now, prospering in all things would be prospering physically, in your health, spiritually, in your relationship with God, and mentally, peace in your mind, in your relationship, prosper in all things, and then be in health just as your soul prospers. Realize this. All those prosperities come as your soul prospers, as your mind prospers. 
That's why Paul spent so much time talking about the transformation of the mind in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have got to learn how things work in this world so that we are not the ones borrowing, but we're the ones lending. That's the promise of Deuteronomy 28. You shall lend to many nations and shall not borrow. But the Babylonian system wants you to borrow. They want you to continue to pay to build their big buildings while you're living in little huts. So we need to, to understand how money works. And we need to understand what God's plan is for you and money. Generationally. It's not enough that I just prosper. You've all probably seen the bumper sticker that says, I'm spending my children's inheritance. What an abomination to God. It's funny, but it's an abomination to God. We should be building generational inheritance. First, teaching your kids how to build generational wealth. And then passing on your wealth so that they have prosperity for generations. There is a better way than saving just enough in your 401k or your, your company retirement so that the money runs out when you die. I heard a financial planner talking about that. Saying, well, what we, got, what we do is we look at how much money you want to do, how much money you got, how much your retirement is, and we, tr we try to calculate your estimated lifespan so that when you get towards the end of your life, it's basically all gone. That is so worldly. And then let the kids just fend for themselves. That's not God's system. I'm gonna read a, I want to read a quote from John Adams, May 12, 1780. He became the second president of the United States. He wrote this letter to his wife, Abigail. It said, I must study politics and war that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. Our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, and naval architecture, and navigation, commerce, and, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. See, he understood generational vision. He understood it. We do the hard things so our kids don't have to. But see, if you instill inside each generation that they should do the hard things so the generations coming don't have to, but what has happened? We have left generational prosperity, generational uh, lineage go in this nation so much that now the kids who are studying music and artistry and tapestry have no vision for a generation beyond them. They have no vision for their generations. This country will not survive if the young, gen, younger generations do not get a vision for the future. We cannot just be a generation of barely get by and figure out how to make it today. But the good thing is we can change this by renewing our mind with the wisdom of God. And that's what it'll take, the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. You know, we've been taught that earning interest in bank is good. But generally, interest the banks pay are below the inflationary rate. So when you have your money in the bank and they're using your money, at the same time, you're losing money. You're giving it to them right now at 1% or 2%. They're loaning it out at somewhere between 10 and 30, 10 and 28%. You're losing money to inflation, and they're building enormous skyscrapers on the interest from your money. 
There's a story in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 27. And I'm not going to read it this week. I may carry it down. But just let me give over the highlights because this is an important story. It's a story about the talents. And we're not talking about your ability to, uh, you know, to, to dance or your ability to play basketball. We're talking about money, a talent, money. In the story of the talents, it says that, that money was given to stewards in different proportions to their abilities. But I want you to re- recognize something in this story just this morning. Is that when the master returned and called into account those that he had given authority over his money, the one whom he had given five talents had made five, and the one who he had given two to had made two, but the one that he had given one to had buried it. And this man said to him that because the, 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 the steward who was afraid of losing the money had said, hey, look, I know you're, you're, a, you're a business guy. You're a, you, you make money even where you don't invest. And so the ruler says to him, knowing that I'm a man who understands how the financial system works and how to make money from everything I set my hand to, you should have taken my money and done the very least thing anybody could do with money, and that's put it in a bank, so at least it would have got some interest. What I want to point out here in the story today is most of us have been told that the way that we, we get to retirement is we put some money in the bank and save it and get the interest. What did this ruler say? He said, that's the, 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 the worst thing you can do, but it's better than nothing. But see, we as believers have said, see, we should at least put our money in the bank and get interest. And the whole time, inflation is eating up our money. And so, again, we need to change how we look at the financial systems in life and what we do with money. Philippians 4.8 tells us that we can change how we think about money. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. See, and I, for years, thought that this was a spiritual message Paul was talking about. But Philippians 4 is a financial chapter. You go read Philippians 4. Paul is talking about finances in that chapter. Doesn't he also say that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? Doesn't he also say that that you can do all things through Christ? I mean, he is talking about finances in this chapter. And he says, brethren, whatever things are true. So whatever things are true about money, those are the things we need to meditate on. Those are the things we need to find out. Those are the things that we need to do. Whatever things are just. The Bible says that God's scales are just. That means you you do right with your money. You do right in business. Nothing wrong with making money. But there is something wrong with, with being deceptive and ripping people off and not treating them fair. See, we operate in a different system. So here's a key. How do you change these deep-seated core beliefs? When you find something that you've believed most of your life and you find out now that it's not correct, how do you change them? You can't just wish them away. How do you get rid of it? You can't just willpower them away. You can't just shoo those beliefs away. 
The only way to change wrong thinking is with correct thinking. The only way you can change wrong thinking is with correct thinking. Psalms 119, 130 says, The entrance of your word gives light. It's the entrance of God's word into our life that gives light. It's the entrance of God's word into our life that, that brings right into every situation of our life. The entrance of God's word will bring divine health because we'll start to understand how our bodies were designed, the things that, we, that are supposed to empower it, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to exercise, how we're supposed to eat, how we're supposed to do things. The entrance of God's word makes all the difference because it's correct thinking. It's God kind of thinking. And we're told to have the God kind of faith, which is the God kind of thinking. That's what makes a change and difference in our life. That's what makes a change and difference in the things that we do. Oh, glory be to God. There is hope for us in every area of life. But we need to change the way that we look at things. Now, that's why we, we have a healing service here every month. You can be healed from anything that you're suffering from. Because if we look at Scripture, you'll probably find out that you were already healed of it. And you just didn't know it. And when you see somebody get revelation, and when they come to you and say, you know, I've got this sickness, I've got this disease, my diabetes, my, my lumbago, my whatever, you know, whatever it is. And then they realize that it says that Jesus paid the price on the tree. Having canceled sin for us. And that by his stripes we were healed. And that if we were healed, we are healed. Isaiah 53 says that by his stripes we are healed. And then you start getting the revelation, well, I'm healed, well, why do I hurt? The symptoms have nothing to do with the state of your being. The symptoms will lie to you every single time. It's the battlefield of the mind that we face. We face it in the healing arena. We face it in the financial arena. You may face it in the relational arena. You can face it in every area of your life. But here's the good thing. There is hope. His name is Jesus. There is hope. He is the healer. He is our healer. He can heal your finances. He can heal your financial problems. He can heal your relational problems. He is the healer of everything in our life. And when you get hold of that, see, you start now to correct wrong thinking. We correct wrong thinking with correct thinking. We start to understand that by his stripes I am healed. That he said he would bless my food and water and take sickness away from the midst of me. That's why somebody said, oh, we better stop and, and pray about our food. I said, Deuteronomy 25 says my food is already blessed. But I'll stop and give him glory anytime. We need to change our thinking. So that when situations arise, when the enemy speaks, when symptoms come, we battle it with the Word. The transformation process has to happen every day. Has to happen every day. 
We need God's word to transform us every day. And maybe I'll bring my maybe I'll bring my cell phone next week and just show you. But I get God's word and I record it on my phone. I've got all I've got recordings all in a folder. So when I'm driving in my car, I just hit the play button. And I hear myself confessing God's word. I mean, I like Eklund Zinless Jr. You know, I've got his, his Bible reads. They're great. But you know who I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe the most? I'm going to believe me. When I hear me say it, there's something that triggers inside your mind. That's why we're supposed to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. There's something physiological that happens when you speak the word. And God's word goes forth. Because the Bible says it will never return void, but it will accomplish what it was sent to do. And then you know what it says? And it will prosper in that thing. It will pro- God is a God of increase. God's system is a system of increase. Kingdom financial increase. He will increase you more and more, you and your children. Psalms 115, 14. So if you're here today, if you're here today and you've been struggling with some of the, some of the, uh, the, the issues with finances, you just haven't been able to get over it. You've always, you've always just struggled to maybe barely get by and, and, you've, all, and you've said to yourself many times, I'll never do any better than this in life. I want to pray, and I want to take authority over that. I want, I want to come into agreement with you. Prayer will break the bondage, but the Word of God will transform your life. The Bible says that, that when a, a, a demon is, is cast out, he goes about searching where he can go, but when he doesn't find one, he comes back, and he finds your house clean and swept. And then he goes and gets more troubling ones to come and re-attack you again. Because you haven't, the house hasn't been filled. We have got to fill our house with the word of God. We can break the power, but then it's our job to fill the house with God's word. If you're here today and you have a physical ailment, you know you're healed, but you have a physical ailment, I'll, I'll agree with you this morning. We'll take authority over that and believe that the gifts of healing will be in operation this morning. So if you have a need in your life, I want you to come, come forward and allow me to pray with you this morning. Allow me to join my faith with yours. Just get up from where you're at and come if you'd like prayer this morning. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at 
info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.